Are you guys ready up there? Alright. Alright, quiet on the set. Hello and welcome to the Women in Film and TV Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray, I'm the WIFT Administration Executive, and today I'm going to be chatting with novelist and screenwriter Suzanne Allen about her amazing project, Mr. Malcolm's List, for our very first WIFT Writers' Room. Hello and welcome to the first ever uh, Women in Film and Television Ireland Writers' Room. So this webinar is open to all and then afterwards we're going to have an intimate closed discussion with uh, just our members um, so thank you, everybody, for joining us on such a sunny day. And thank you, for Suzanne, for joining us. We're delighted to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So your absolutely gorgeous adaptation of your own work. And I, as we were just discussing this, is why I was so excited to have you um, here to, to chat about it, is just been released. So I think it's in cinematic release at the moment. And we're soon going to have a... Um, on-demand version as well. I presume it's through the usual Amazon, Apple. I, I did see it up online. Um, so yeah, I'm actually not so sure about how it's working in the UK. We did the same in the US though. We started with um, a release, a theatrical release, and then it about three weeks later went to all the major channels. So Apple, Amazon, Vudu, Google Play. So I'm assuming it'll work the same way in the UK and Ireland. So this is based on your novel and then you got to adapt the screenplay for what is a really gorgeous uh, production. So that must have been like the most satisfying, exciting thing ever. So just tell me a little bit about how that happened. Okay, well, brace yourself. It is a long story and a long journey. Um, it actually started 20 years ago. I That's when I wrote the book originally. It was the second book of a um, two-book contract that I had. So my first book was called Incognito, and it was released in 2001. And um, unfortunately, the imprint that released it, um, it, it was a smaller imprint of a large publishing company. But because September 11th occurred, uh, that kind of shook up the New York publishing companies. And so they never ended up releasing Mr. Malcolm's List. So I wrote it and um, it just kind of sat on my hard drive for a while. And then after about eight years, I decided just to release it in a limited way myself. By that time, Kindle had kind of taken off. There were eBooks. So I did that in 2009. And then when I was reading reviews, I, I stumbled across one where the reader said she could really see this as a movie. And I started to think, um, I really enjoyed writing dialogue and I could see, I could, when I wrote novels, I could kind of see them as movies myself. So um, the scenes would appear in my head. I would hear the characters talking. So I decided, well, I'll adapt Mr. Malcolm's List, the novel, into a script. And at that point, um, I didn't know much about screenwriting. Um, I'd been working in the computer industry. I'd done technical writing, um, but I had never done screenwriting before. So I started kind of educating myself. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of scripts. And I ended up adapting um, my book into a script. So it didn't come a, um, about the maybe more traditional way where your book gets optioned and then, you know, they look for a screenwriter. So you were saying I was able to adapt my own book. And that's because really 
nobody else wanted to so, or knew about it. It wasn't, it was kind of unknown at the time. And um, it kind of became a script and, and ultimately um, a director was attached and it before it actually became as well known as a novel. So, um, so that's kind of what happened. It did end up in 2020, a major publishing company, Berkeley, and ended up releasing it. And then it became better known and had a larger audience. But that is why I was able to adapt it because I actually adapted the script myself and made that decision. <laughs> no one asked me to. <laughs> so how did this particular film come about? Was the was it re-released as a novel because the film was coming out or did the novel spur on the film? That's that's super interesting. That's- yeah, it is. It is very interesting how it's kind of, um, I don't know, kind of they both are feeding each other. But um, what ended up happening is I um, adapted the book into a script and then I started, I I didn't really know how to break into Hollywood. You know, I had this script now that, you know, I thought, well, you know, at least one person thinks it should be a movie. (laughs) And and just so you came from a totally different industry. Did you like, you know, read the save the cat, the, you know, like the list of things did to read the thing? Did you like, how did you kind of educate yourself in script writing to begin with? Yeah, I actually don't know that I read Save the Cat. I am familiar with it. Um, I did read a lot of books. I actually, what I would recommend is I ended up kind of joining communities of writers. So just online communities. So um, Amazon Studios actually started an online um, site a site that was um, designed for screenwriters and filmmakers in 2011, I believe, 2010 maybe. Um, And they had free screenwriting contests. And so I ended up uploading my script, which was, you know, shortly after I'd adapted it, I didn't know what to do with it. I uploaded on there and it was a semi-finalist in their contest. So that was kind of, you know, gave me some affirmation, you know, this is, this is at least good enough to place in this, you know, screenwriting contest. But also I remember there was a a pretty nice um, group of screenwriters who would post on their message boards and forums. And, and that's really, I, I found that probably most helpful is that. And then there was another site. It's still around. It's called done deal pro. And um, it was, it's now it's behind a firewall, but it, it was really, really helpful for giving advice. Mostly, I mean, it had writing threads on writing, but mostly it was probably more about the industry and how to break in, because I think that's every writer's struggle is, you know, even if they are a good writer or they have the skill, they may not ever get anyone, be able to get anyone to read their work, you know, in in, in any type of field that they're in. So um, that can sometimes be what holds them back more than anything else, more than even, you know, a lack of skill or talent. So I would, I would recommend, I mean, I'm assuming that could be what you all have here in women in film is a really nice community where you can get support and kind of get advice from each other. But I've found that very helpful. 
Yeah, we do. We have, um, well, there's us and uh, we're all women in film and television, but we do have like a solid crew of writers. I see lots of them there in the in the attendees box. Um, but we also have uh, the Writers Guild of Ireland. I'm also a member of them and they're yes. great. Like they're great for doing like all of us are great for doing networking events. We do a lot of stuff in common with them as well. Susan, our chair is on the board of that with um Jennifer Davidson who's the chair and she, they just have fabulous events like and, and women only events as well so it is lovely to network and I would heartily recommend um joining I think it's 60 euro a year and the amount of training like specific great in-depth training that you get in networking opportunities is so worth the membership fee um but no we and it is lovely but would you have found people in that group um and would you have given them your stuff for feedback would you have gone with your agent from your first novel? Like, would you have had an agent from your first novel no. when you were kind of working this? No, I had nothing, no one. So I, um, yeah, I was, um, so, so yes, I had uploaded it. It became a semifinalist on Amazon Studios. I actually got a call from one of the executives there. They gave me some notes on the script. Um, then, I, I think, so what was really helpful is in 2014, um, I uploaded it onto the Blacklist website, which are your members familiar with the Blacklist? Yeah, yeah, we'd, we'd have people submit actually for there. Yeah, so I feel like there are many different paths to obviously to getting your script um, read and, and produced. But actually, the blacklist is what finally broke me in. I had quite a few, I had an interest all along, like from Amazon Studios and then, you know, different people here and there. Um, I cold queried at one point, uh, a lot of executives and, and a producer called me from that attempt. But it was funny because at the time, she gave me some advice that um, she said she loved the script. She said, you know, it's one of the most creative things she'd ever read. And she said, but if you don't stop writing period pieces, you will never make it in Hollywood. <laughs> well, that was a different time. It's funny, swings and roundabouts, yeah. Well, she actually had a point because, um, you know, I think it's a little different maybe um, where you are. You, you all do a lot of period films, but in Hollywood, for some reason, it scares them quite a bit. So, um, so that, that was a little bit of, you know, people are, people who would read it was like, this is really good, but do you have anything, you know, contemporary or modern? So, um, so anyway, fast forward to 2014, I uploaded the script onto the blacklist and uh, as people may be aware, you can pay for a review a nominal fee, and then they will rate it between a scale of one and to 10. And if it gets an eight or above, then an automated email will be generated and sent to um, producers, directors, managers, agents, whoever signs up to be on this list. So um, my script actually got a nine, which was, which was pretty incredible because it's a very, it's very difficult to even get an eight and so um, that was really what broke me in. So when it scored so well on the blacklist, I that is when I actually did get representation. So I then got an agent, a manager. Um, in 2015, they recorded, um, the blacklist had a podcast at that time called the Blacklist Table Reads. And they did a table read of, 
of the script. Um, and that is where the director heard it first, um, Emma Holly Jones, and she became attached to direct. And she, um, she was the one who had the idea to cast it with this diverse casting that we see. Wow. Ahead of (laughs) Yeah. Wait. Yeah. And I'm glad, I'm glad I had the opportunity to talk a little bit about that because a lot of people think we copied that idea from Bridgerton, but this was pre Bridgerton. So, um, she, um, heard the podcast and then, um, she saw Hamilton like shortly afterwards. And she had this idea, like, what if we did a similar casting as Hamilton, but for Mr. Malcolm's list and made um, a period romantic comedy with diverse casting. So um, she um, was able to then get some of our producing partners attached and also Refinery29, um, they, they had a wonderful program where they were um, helping first time women filmmakers. So they gave us the money to make a short film and that was um, filmed in England and London in 2018. And it was a three-day shoot. Jimmy Chan was in it. A lot of our original cast members were in the short film, like Oliver Jackson Cohen, Frida Pinto, Chape Dirisu, and they all came back. Um, and Divian Ladwa, who plays the footman, and, and Shanad Gregory, who plays um, Molly, the maid, they all came back for the feature, which was very nice. And so, yeah, that's, so I wrote the short, I wrote the script for the short film as well. And then um, it was released in 2019. And then finally, based on the popularity of the short and kind of, you know, it was, it was done as a proof of concept that this type of casting for this type of film would work and it, and it proved to be true. And so then they finally were able to get, um, get the funds to to begin production on the feature I think it's um it's sort of funny like I I just remember from my writing masters years and years ago um someone telling me anything to do with uh women you have to really prove yourself like (laughs) that and that sounds to me like you had like a stellar concept something that's kind of timely and timeless at the same time something that like is universally praised by everybody as being like a really solid piece of writing and that just sounds to me like hoop 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 that you had to jump through and I remember someone saying like it's it's women's um it's 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 a it's like and it is it is like I know men will definitely enjoy it and there's so much to enjoy in this film but it's definitely like a, a a women's film for women um, yeah, and then I remember like someone saying to me it was like a literary thing but they were like oh it's chiclet and I'm like why because there's women in it like and it's <laughs> specifically for women and I'm like why do we have a separate um like genre of thing but anyway but it sounded like you guys had to do a lot to prove um that you were to to get the money um, yeah but- it was a lot and it was not uh, you know it was not overnight success for any anyone involved with this film it took a lot, took a lot. And, and, and how do you, and I, it's, it speaks testament to your um, creative relationship with your director as well, that you were the team that kind of spearheaded the project and, and directed it rather than, you know, like then got a producer on board, then got everybody on board, which, which is lovely. I suppose it just means that you get to 
stay true to that relationship and your original plan first? Yeah. And really, um, I don't know that it would have gotten made without Emma Holly Jones, because she, I think if you were to ask people one of her um, um, qualities that's kind of defines her, it's her persistence and her determination. And, <laughs> and that is another thing you really need if you're going to succeed in this business, I feel, because you're going to have to be told no so many times before you're finally told yes. So um, you just have, I mean, yeah, whether you're the writer, the director, producer, whichever, even, you know, the actor, whichever part of this film, I think all of us dealt with, you know, um, having to really break through the, those barriers and, and not, not let um, the nose stop us, but to continue on. So yes, she was very determined and it's definitely thanks to her that this film got made because she wouldn't take no for an answer. <laughs> Fabulous. And like, and again, it's such a beautiful polished piece. It's, it's so, it's so gorgeous. It's so satisfying to watch. Like it must've been lovely to finally, <laughs> after all these years, get to see it on the screen. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, we had a premiere in New York City and it was great to be there. It was, um, I think it was probably my first time traveling since the pandemic. And uh, it was just, what was so important to me was that the humor come through. For me, that was just as important as the romance, maybe even a little more important. I just, you know, love comedies and I really wanted this to be a, a rom-com, you know, and with equal romance and comedy. And the actors just were so hilarious and did such a great job. And it was so nice when we saw it at the premiere in a theater to hear so many people laughing. And that was just, um, just really fulfilling for me and just was a nice kind of into the journey, although the journey still hasn't ended, but you know, it was, it was nice that I was able to have that moment where I could hear people laugh. And I really appreciate the performances because they really captured that humor. So, um, I feel like a book or a script when people read it, they're reading it in their voice, you know, and that could be funny or it could not be. <laughs> so, um, a lot of the humor that, you know, was in the words and um, in the dialogue, if it's not delivered in a humorous way, could definitely fall flat. So I really appreciated, you know, um, definitely Zowie Ashton, who played Julia Thistleway. That was a character who could really be unlikable. And she... Um, made us sympathize with her. I mean, even made me sympathize with her. And I, <laughs> I was crying at one point and then, uh, you know, I knew the whole story obviously, but um, yeah, she did such a great job. And then of course she was just hilarious as well. So that was so nice. And she brings actually, that's definitely a character that she's done. I remember watching her in uh, dreams of a life years ago, and it's this amazing documentary, like docudrama. She was in the, the drama part of it. And it was very like, it actually stuck with me. Like it's quite, it's quite an old Irish film in some ways, like it's years and years ago, but she um, was this kind of vivacious character who died 
and no one found her for years and they were kind of uh, telling the story of her life but she played um that kind of enigmatic charismatic but like that like complex character and I always just was drawn to her as a performer she's just she 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 just elevates it so like she was a, a beautiful choice for that um do you because you guys had a creative partnership going back so long would you have been involved with any of the the casting would you have kind of stepped aside then totally and popped in when you were asked or what would be the relationship then on set well it was funny um for the short film the producers sent me you know some ideas they had for the for the short film some of the characters and i must say i'm glad they didn't listen to my opinion <laughs> because um i remember specifically with oliver jackson cohen i thought he was kind of too good looking to play lord cassidy who's kind of this you know you know humorous i i don't know just not not known for his good looks, you know, and, um, and the reels that they sent me were very dramatic, you know, and a lot of the work he's done has been extremely dramatic. So I just was not sure he could, you know, pull off a comic comedic role. So, um, I was just like, I don't know about, <laughs> I don't know about him and they cast him and I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad they didn't listen to me. So basically, yes, I was made aware they didn't really um, they, they kind of told me who they were looking at for different parts and asked my opinion. But ultimately, the casting director, who was very good and the director and, and the producers made their choices. And yes, I'm glad that they made the choices they did. And they didn't listen to my dissenting opinion in a few of the cases. <laughs> But it's even it's even great to see, like as a writer, for you to be able to be in that room and have that conversation and see it at that point, because a lot of the time during the process, I think where, you know, we hand over the script and then who knows, especially with your own IP. That's why I think it must have been so satisfying to to watch it go to fruition. Um, so you were just I'm very interested to go a little bit back to the section where you were getting notes, right? So this was a script. It was doing quite well. It had a bit of a buzz. You were getting up the, the kind of the, getting the, the kind of money behind it, trying to find people to get attached to actually get it across the line. And you were in discussion with a lot of different people. So you were probably getting all these different notes. I'm just wondering as a writer, how do you handle those notes? So if you get like, do you, if, if you're hoping to get commissioned by them, do you do them word for word? Do you take what you see? Do you question them? I'm just wondering what your process is with receiving notes, especially at that stage. I'd say you're probably getting them from left, right and center. Yeah, that is a good question. I don't know that I have a process. <laughs> I think I think like many writers, you get a note and your first process is like to complain bitterly to yourself, <laughs> but then you get over it. And I think, you know, a very common phrase that a lot of writers use is the note behind the note. And I think that is very helpful because I do feel like many times the note might not be articulated exactly. Like this is, this is what you need to do to fix it. Or, or it might be, um, a little different than what needs to happen. But the fact that they're giving you a note could mean that there, there is definitely room for improvement. So um, I think, 
you know, always taking a deep breath and um, just, you know, thinking, okay, what could improve this scene, you know, whatever they're, they're pulling out is something that they think they think could use some work of some sort. And do you then at that stage, like, because you'd have so much kind of notes coming at it, if you were to say, like, Amazon were like, I loved this, or like, and I'm not saying this specifically, I'm just saying, like, in general, if someone were like, oh, I'd love this, but what if you, like, was there any, did anyone ever ask you to do something maybe that you were like, I don't really feel comfortable, or like that character would do that? What would you do in a situation like that? Well, I will say that um, the director did make the film very much her own. So um, I did work with her on some notes, but then when it went into production, I wasn't actually on set. So there were changes made. Um, and I think every writer, um, it's funny, I think there are some things she changed that definitely improved it. And some, you know, that you as the original writer might think, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way necessarily. So I would, um, I would say as far as um, getting notes about things that you change that you're not thrilled about. I mean, I, I think, I think what I've learned from this process is be as open as you can be and try not to um, take anything personally as hard as that is, because this is your baby. And then hopefully they will continue to, uh, work with you or collaborate with you throughout the process. But I think if you, um, if you make it seem like you are attached <laughs> to certain things, then uh, they could stop working with you just because they don't want to run up against any objections, you know, is when they start to make it into, make it their own. So I don't know, I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, maybe but don't that, die on the hill if it's not that important. Like, right. Yeah. Yes. Just, just do it. And, um, just, yeah. And just try to be, you know, as much, of a team player and collaborative as you can be. And then hopefully you'll get to continue to collaborate, but, um, but it is, it is really hard. I think, um, along with writing, uh, writers could do with a little bit of, um, I don't know, uh, therapy or, you know, this is a very, you know, it's something that your feelings are very, very strongly attached to your work. And, you know, in a creative field, I mean, that's true of all creators. It's, you know, it's something you basically gave birth to. So it's really hard sometimes to separate feelings from that. So I think, you know, looking back, this was my first time having a script become, uh, go into production. And so I'm looking back at it. Okay, what might I do a little differently next time? And so I think, I think the idea that you have to detach yourself a little bit, like you were saying, when you sell a script, it's kind of like, um, it's, it's different than when you sell a novel because with a book or a novel, you're still the, 
the owner, but a script is a collaborative process and so many other people take ownership of it. So you have to be willing to give it up to some extent or to, to let a lot go. Yeah. And, and I am just thinking about, yeah, cause you, you had it from a novel, the business of um, writing, uh, writing fiction and then writing a screenplay, like the actual business of it, like getting an agent, um, like having a publisher slash producer, you know, like what would be the main areas of difference? I'm sorry. So I didn't understand the question. So like sort of the business of the, the world, like the business of the writing. Oh. So, so, you know, like <laughs> having your agents, like is your relationship to your agent the same? Um, Like your publisher, like what's, what oh, would you see would be the main differences between that and the, the film world? So you kind of said like, yeah, selling the script would be one, would be one thing and then you've no control over. So you would yes. get final say over your edit, even if you had, um, your publisher was like, actually, you should make your lead a man. You wouldn't have to do that. You could just no, say you no. wouldn't. Yeah, it's a lot. I think I think writers in the um, publishing industry book world are have a lot more control for sure and probably get more respect <laughs> than they do in, in filmmaking. And um, so. Um, so was that a bit of a shock to the system then to, to kind of go from one ecosystem to another? <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think it is a shock for a lot of writers. Um, just, I mean, even if you're not the writer of a book, just because, like I said, we're so attached to our own work. I mean, it's funny, I've been reading um, stories of different people who had adaptations and typically the author doesn't like the adaptation, you know, <laughs> like, like it's, and it's just, um, it's just really hard because you have to really separate yourself from, okay, this, this may not be what I saw, but you know, it's still got its value. I mean, I really appreciated like with this, with the, with the film, the, um, like I mentioned the humor, which was so important to me, but a lot of the reviews have been saying that it was just a joyous experience at the theater. And I really feel like that came across really well. So if, you know, a few lines got changed here or there, or, you know, um, the, the feeling was captured very well. And um, because when the script, when the script became popular on the blacklist and they did the table read and I started kind of making the rounds in Hollywood and doing general meetings, when people would read the script, they would just say, this is so refreshing. So they just felt like, you know, it, it was just a breath of fresh air. And that's how I feel about the movie as well. It is just, I feel like you don't leave the theater in a bad mood, you know, you're just really, really, I, and, I, and I love how um, Emma was able to, you know, keep that spirit of the, of the script in the film. And like you mentioned, it's beautifully shot, beautifully acted. So yeah, ultimately, you know, you just have to, uh, the, the little things that you might've done a little differently, you know, you just have to let those go. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. I think, I think most people I know have been there that, that one thing where you're like, Oh my God, they can do what to us. <laughs> They're going to do what? And then make changes. And like, I, I think the first time, like I had a lovely director and I was like, 
but they weren't meant to be like that. And he had to, but you, you have to just let it go. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh. and then you kind of realize, okay, it's, and, and I actually think one of the amazing things is, is watching actors read stuff that you've written. It, they bring so much more to it. Like, it's, Oh it's- my, it is amazing. Even I think the, the very first time I experienced that was with the podcast, the table read back in 2015. And it was just amazing to me. They, they did a great job, those actors as well. And um, just to hear it, you know, um, cause I got to travel to LA and be in the room, uh, while they were recording. And there was just this one scene where they were so professional. They just kept recording and recording and recording. And then there was just this one scene where they all broke all at the same time and <laughs> they just busted out laughing. And, um, we had to, you know, stop the recording, but that of course, as a writer, you feel great about that. You're like, yes, please. You, you can do that as many times as you want. Where they're breaking. And, and just, I want to talk a little bit about more about the, um, the, the specifics of your process. So you would be, um, you had a day job initially. So when you were novel writing, and I know loads of best-selling novelists that would have been like, like when I was doing my master's, they were like, keep your day job. <laughs> like, yes, keep it exactly. <laughs> until you reach a certain voice, you have to keep it. And then you would have been working as a novelist, um, with the day job and then working on this script. Were you shopping other scripts and novels at the same time? Would you like, how do you allocate your time and edit time to a project? Because I think there's so much you can be doing at any one time. It's hard to know what to lean into as well. Um, so I'm just, just curious to how you would project manage. That is a wonderful question, especially right now, because I'm doing promotion for the film. You have to do promotion for books. It is starting to be just really crazy. So, um, after I wrote Mr. Malcolm's list, or after in 2020, when Mr. Malcolm's List was re-released, I had a second novel that was released in August, 2021, Miss Lattimore's Letter. And then, and I'm actually working on a follow-up novel right now, which is in the same genre, same kind of historical romantic comedy. Um, it's called The Ladies Rewrite the Rules. And that is just insanely you know, like making me crazy, <laughs> like for the first time in my life, I, I don't, it's not the first time, but um, it's the worst writer's block I've ever had just because, you know, to constantly interrupt to do promotion or, or interviews or podcasts. And Sorry, then thank you so much okay. for chatting with us. <laughs> but actually what I found just recently, a few weeks ago is I needed to get off of social media. So I find that very distracting. And I think we use that writers use that a lot as um, a procrastination tool. So even though you can tell yourself you're doing promotion or networking or whatever it may be, <laughs> it is really just an excuse so you don't have to sit down and write. So um, I did also write, um, I'm trying to remember when I finished it, but shortly, um, sometime in the middle of this, I wrote a new spec script called Bliss and it's a psychological thriller, female led. Um, and so I'm kind of looking at maybe starting to take that out. Um, and that's totally original, uh, not 
based on an adaptation. But I did at the time, um, Mr. Malcolm's List started kind of taking off because then I did have connections. I started writing, um, I, I wrote a few other things. I had another script get option, but it, it kind of fizzled out before development, never went into development. So um, I don't know that there's a process for how I do things. I think if there were, then my life would be a lot easier. But I think I just, um, I think with, I, I will say I vastly prefer screenwriting over writing a novel. Um, I love the, you know, mechanics of it. I like having this structure to me. It's just like um, a fun writing challenge, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and novels, um, especially because a lot of mine are in historical periods. Um, they are extremely time consuming. I go down a lot of research rabbit holes. You know, I just, um, I just start researching one thing and then three hours later, I'm like, wow, I haven't gotten a lot of writing done today. I wonder why. So, um, I don't think I answered your question at all because I, or maybe I did. You did, you did, you did. Cause it's like, it's like kind of, how do you know what project to, to go towards? And it's, I suppose it's whatever one's coming towards you is the answer. Yes, <laughs> whatever one's is. kind of cropping up and demanding to be written at that, at that point it, of time. It is. So there's not, I don't think there's any conscious like, oh, I better do this unless there's a deadline, like the case of my book. And I think sometimes it's dictated by like um, what, I'm finding very inspiring. So with both the script that I finished and this book I'm writing now, um, you know, the initial idea that came to me excited me very much. So then it was like, I wanted to, to dive in and get it done. And um, with the book I wrote, you know, I, I wrote the first three chapters and a synopsis, and then I had to kind of hear back where did they like that? Did they want to go ahead with it? But in the meantime, I, I think what probably I should have done is just kept riding that wave <laughs> because then if you put it down, it just takes so much longer to dive back into that world and, um, and have that same enthusiasm that you initially started with. That is like, but that is always the issue with the project. You're like, when it has the idea and it's perfect. And then you're like, oh, it's just not right when it's getting down on the page for whatever reason. And then it goes in the drawer and then it can stay in the drawer and then you forget about it. And it yes, was such a beautifully formed thing. So, and would you have like, um, even like in your practical day-to-day -day work, um, would you sit down and would you plot out a screenplay on a board, write down scenes? Would you... Um, come up with like character bios and write a big long treatment first or do you just sit down and write like what would be your physical process there yes I wish it were um the one you described where you plot everything out and you have everything on a board I am not very organized that way I have a very loose idea like I I pretty much um at least with my books um, I know kind of where I'm going and where they're going to end. Um, the script that I just recently finished, which was a psychological thriller, I found it, I ended it differently than I had anticipated. Um, but I just kind of, in the past, I would just like open a Word document and just type notes as they came to me. So I wouldn't say that I, um, you know, have this great outlining process or anything, but 
I did, you know, I have final draft. I tried to use like their little electronic um, beat boards or cards or whatever they have. And I did use that a little bit on my last script. And then I use in writing my novel, I um, have an application called Scrivener. I don't know yeah. if you've ever heard of that, but I found that extremely helpful. I don't know why I waited so long to get that just because of the, mostly because of the research aspects, you know, you can save your research in the shell with the same document you're working on. And before for scripts and books or whatever, I would just have like all of these bookmarks, you know, (laughs) in my web browser (laughs) and I would be like, where was that? So, um, so I am enjoying Scrivener, um, Yeah, I I might, I don't know, maybe in the future, I'll try using it for a script as well. I feel like there was one. Oh, and Scrivener too has really handy like character bio, character sketch things and place um, sketches and like already formatted templates. And so that I have been using that a little bit. Um, So I don't necessarily have a very, you know, organized process, but I'm trying to get more organized. Well, that's perfect. Oh, and that takes us exactly to the right time. So um, thank you so much for um, like, that's such fabulous insight. Like, it's great to see how you worked on such a project. And it's sort of a relief to know, like, like you see something on screen so polished and so beautiful as a writer. And then you to know you have been slogging behind the scenes. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's quite comforting to know as a writer. Well, good. I'm very glad. Thank you so much for speaking with me. I've enjoyed it. So thank you so much for listening and do check out the work we do on wift.ie.